1: All right, guys, welcome back to the MVM show. Elliot, good buddy from Freelance Duck Hunting on again today. And guys, we're doing a marathon, rolling through the podcast. He's on my podcast. I'm on his. So you guys need to make sure you check out the North American Waterfowler podcast. You can find it anywhere, Spotify, um, Apple podcast, just anywhere you listen to him. And so Elliot, thanks again for being on another episode.
2: Yeah, I'm enjoying this. There's no no better way to spend a hot summer day is than just sit down and talk to a buddy about duck hunting.
1: That's I, amen to that. I am definitely going to agree with me with you. I'm one of those guys. That I I pretty much hibernate or try to hibernate in the summer if I can. I do a lot of things though. Right. I actually, I play we we play softball quite regularly and uh, the last couple nice. years, and it's been not, it's been fun. But I can tell you what we have a tournament this weekend. And it's supposed to be 109, so I'm kind of not looking Ooh. forward to that.
2: <laughs> what position do you play um, when you play softball?
1: Usually left center and outfield. Right. So, yeah. Nice. I like second, too. Um, I think it's hurt me, though, from playing outfield so much. I feel like I always overthrow first. It's just like I'm so used to throwing those farther throws. My yeah. accuracy, short game-wise, doesn't seem as good.
2: So Yeah, those balls are pretty big. It's kind of harder. It's a way more easy to be accurate with a baseball than it is a softball, that's for sure. Yeah, you used to play a lot of baseball, didn't you, growing up? Yeah, I played clear up into, I played three years in college, and then oh, actually did you really? the day I decided to quit, I was in a duck blind with my dad. I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to play this year, but yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Really? What what position did you play? I pitched. Oh, did you really?
2: Yeah, oh, so much fun. It was my it was my thing before duck hunting. It was like Your life. my whole identity. Yeah, I played year-round, and then I was in a blind with my dad, and I remember looking to him, and I was like, I wasn't happy with how it was going, and I had a coach, a summer coach that just way over-pitched me, and my arm just was never the same, and it hurt all the time. I just couldn't get over it. And I remember exactly where we were sitting. It was a beautiful day. It's funny because I don't remember whether we killed any ducks. I remember the weather of the day and how beautiful it was, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. But it was – so my identity shifted. Then it became like my obsession shifted at that moment. Huh. Essentially, from baseball to waterfowl.
1: Well, I, we should talk about that a minute. I mean, we're here running through so many, much stuff. I'm kind of curious, like to ask a little bit more detailed stuff about like playing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Sure. I mean, did you play from the time you were like little league? Like, were you five, six years old, and you just played all from that point on?
2: Yeah, but at that time, like right now, it seems like kids kind of pick sports and they're year round. And and at that time, so I was born in '73. So it would have been like 1980, start playing t-ball. But it we played – I played every sport depending on the season. And then as I got older, football went away, uh, soccer went away, and then it just became basketball and baseball from about seventh grade on. Mm-hmm. And I played basketball in high school, but my team was just bad enough that I made the team, <laughs> and so I wasn't very good. But baseball was always kind of kind of my thing.
1: From that's that's probably bigger – do you think baseball is bigger in Kansas than – Basketball, anyways. If you were to pick a sport that you think is kind of more, <sighs> oh,
2: so I've got like my buddy Corn. His his kids are all into baseball, and it's a year round thing. So I hear a lot more about the year round baseball than I do basketball. So I definitely think as far as youth goes, now in this area, soccer is pretty big too, mm. um, in the Kansas City area. But yeah, baseball is really, really popular and it's just a year round thing. And I don't know what I would have thought of that as I like the year round thing when I got into once I got past high school, it was year round for me for sure. Um, and I love the fact that it was, but I think you can burn a lot of kids out at, you know, an eight, nine, 12 year old when they're doing one sport year round. They even yeah. have indoor they even have indoor leagues where it's a it's not like a full baseball, but it's like literally year round.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. I guess it maybe depends, too, if that kid's just, like, obsessed with that sport. Maybe that – do you think that changes anything?
2: Probably so. I know I was obsessed with sports as a kid, uh, and and I could never – I could never get enough of a shot. I'll tell you what. If you've ever played, like, competitive sport, there's a feeling you get from, like, hitting a three-point shot that is mm-hmm. – it's an incredible emotional high. Striking someone out is – even higher than that. It's really? Like when you strike someone out, especially if you use like you know like a slider or a curveball, and you and they look foolish in doing it, it is the most wonderful <laughs> feeling. You can, especially striking someone out with people on base to end an inning. That is one of the most high emotional feelings that you can, especially like a fast. You throw an up and in fastball, and someone swings at it, and you strike them out with people on like second and third to end an inning. That feeling, if you could bottle that feeling, it would be like crack. I'm telling you.
1: Man, I bet. Yeah. You don't see those guys screaming and pu- fist pumping for no reason.
2: Right. Yeah, it is an emotional high.
1: So it's what wonderful. were you – so you played three years in college. What, were you, what speeds were you hitting,
2: Elliot? I'm curious for you. I didn't throw very hard. Um, I, I imagine I hit 85 a few times, but I live in the low 80s. So that my was my one setback is I really didn't throw that hard. But my slider curveball was really, really nasty. Um, and I didn't – I wasn't – if I threw around 90, I would have been good enough to be D1. But I, I just didn't throw fast enough. So I wasn't I – was, I went to a junior college and then went to an NAIA school, which is still high-level competitive baseball. I was just good enough on my best days I could compete with D1 guys cuz I played them in the summer mm-hmm. but I mean I had to be at my very best right. on an average day against D1 talent I'd give up you know 5 6 runs on a really good day I I would give up two or three but I had to be like at my absolute best which wow. it's hard pitching wise you get in like zones of of like you have three or four <laughs> games in a row where you just 10 point accuracy you're just nasty and you might go through three or four games in a row where you just don't quite have it it's a, it's a real it's it's a real challenge to, to maintain that, but mm. well, it's a lot of fun.
1: I bet, like it. Uh, so you had tons of movement. Maybe you didn't have the speed, but that right. curveball, like, I mean, how, learning how to do that. Like, how did you learn how to do that? Was it just a young
2: kid, and then you just keep getting? It was all my dad. My dad coached me up through when I got into high school, and all of my baseball success is attributed to my dad because he's like, okay. um, you know, you don't throw that hard. We're going to start learning a curveball. And there's actually, I don't know if this still exists, but back then people would say that it was bad on your elbow to throw a curve at an early age. And that's actually not true. You just have to throw it the proper way mm-hmm. because the elbow is not involved in a curveball. Really, it's all its all wrist and hand and hand puts. And so my dad taught me how to do that. My dad was like, all right, we're doing a bullpen today. And he would catch me. And then he's like, all right, now we're learning a slider. And so he he basically, on his will, built me. Mm. um as as a pitcher single so he must have so.
1: played quite a bit of ball then himself
2: yeah he played college baseball um for a couple of years mm. yeah he was an outfielder but yeah he completely built me um, mm. i i wouldn't have done it without him just being like all right that's what we're going to do and now we're going to do this and I, and I was real coachable I like okay let's go do it you know and so he mm. competed 100% built me cuz i'm not i don't have that much i have average athletic ability mm. and probably a little below average strength unfortunately so I'm not really built to be a college athlete, but when you're a pitcher and you learn how to locate the ball, and you learn how to throw, I mean, I could throw five or six different pitches. I'd come down at a sidearm curve, so I was real crafty. Um, and so, if you're that, you can compete at a, above your athletic ability.
1: Yeah, yeah. What was your favorite pitch to throw?
2: Well, in college, I I developed a slider that was just really it was a really really good pitch and i could locate it and my junior college coach wanted me to throw it about i had some riffs with him because he wanted me to throw it like 70 80 of the time and that's not what i wanted to do but um it was a really really good pitch Hmm.
1: that was that was that what was hard on your arm
2: no well i didn't have the proper coaching so you hear about um, – I forget how they phrase it. So relievers are so good because they, they pitch for two innings and they can throw as hard as they can throw every single pitch, mm-hmm. and that's why they can come in and do so much better. And the being as though I knew I didn't throw all that hard, um, I gave maximum effort on every single pitch when I shouldn't have. As, as, a, as a starting pitcher, you don't come in and grunt through every pitch. You, uh, you're, you're supposed to have a nice – Solid fluid, so you may lose two or three miles an hour compared to like a reliever coming in and doing it. But you can maintain it for for a long period of time. No one really taught me that, and so Mm. I was giving maximum effort on every single pitch. So when you do that, your recover time can be four or five days. Mm. And so after I would pitch for the first day or two, my arm was so sore. Sometimes I could barely move it. Mm. And so no one really taught me that and so for me to come back and throw on, like in the major leagues if they have to you get in the playoffs and world series pitchers can come back on like three days rest you really need four is kind of the standard but you can do it at three but I could not do three days rest Mm. I just because of how much effort I gave on on each pitch so during my junior after my junior year at college I was on a summer team and we're in a fourth of July tournament and I was the kind of guy, it's like if a coach asked me if I could do it, the answer is yes. I, I'm not gonna regulate myself unless unless there's so much pain that it's physically impossible. Right. You say, can you go today? The answer is gonna be yes. Yeah, it's just right. that's my competitive nature. So I was on three days rest and he asked me if I could do it, and I said yes. And I threw like five or six innings that day, and that was just it. I was I was just done. From that point on, I was never the it same. The rest, you, huh? summer, was, it, it wow. the rest of the summer I was yeah, it absolutely ruined me. The rest of the summer. I just had extreme pain, and and I, n- I never really went in to get it fully diagnosis diagnosed. I don't know why I should have, but I was never the same um, from from that point on. Huh. Wow! And I- that was his job as a coach to just coaches right. should make the decisions, right? Right, not the players.
1: Well, too, what kind of rehab stuff did you guys have back then? Did were, were they into like Not ice much. baths or like, you know, icing your arms real heavily and stuff like that? After
2: right after you would I would pitch, you do like a 45 minute or 30 minute ice, but mm-hmm. other than that, that was about it. And then the next day, you know, my arm would be hurting so bad even playing catch. I was at times I couldn't even do that the day after and then mm-hmm. you go through like a long toss routine that by day 3 you you can long tossing and feeling okay and then by the fourth day, your after your fourth day rest, I would be pretty much okay. But
1: that's funny you you say that about long toss because softball, <clears throat> I was uh, having a ton of pain, um, just throwing like like the day like if say if you played a night you'd have pain in the game if you made it because I'm outfield so you're always throwing deeper and softball right. you're getting a lot more hits than you do baseball just because it's easier right obviously. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot more action. You're throwing a lot farther shots. I mean, you're still hitting your cutoff guy usually, unless you're trying to throw someone out second or third or home or whatever. Yeah. But man, I'd be like the next two days. Like you said, he couldn't even. I couldn't even like wash the window on the helicopter or something. Like just extend your arm and like right. put pressure. Like ah, oh, like I mean, major yeah. pain. Well, um, a buddy of mine that plays on the team. He played a lot of ball. I never played to high school, college, none of that stuff. But he played a lot of that. That And he was talking about long toss. And so I started looking up some programs. And me and my brother both play off. He'll, he usually plays right center. And uh, we started looking up some routines. Well, we found some. We started doing it. And uh, oh my goodness. It took about, I will say, honestly, it took about a month because mm-hmm. I've seen where people said, your arm's not uh, messed up. Your arm's weak if it's hurting that bad. Now, you, that's a different, I'm not comparing your story because yours you injured yourself obviously, Right. but mine was just soreness from being weak, you know, like mm-hmm. not using it properly. The, all, that was also other thing is like the whole form, right? Well, we started doing it and consistently for about a month, this was like three, four months ago. And I could not believe the difference. I don't, I never wake up with my arm being sore anymore and nice. we, you do it a couple times a week and then a little pre game routine, but it's crazy. Like. It makes a huge difference. Plus, uh, the speed, too, has increased quite a bit.
2: As yeah, and you, still, if you like, use, like, the elastic bands, mm-hmm. you know, those that you feel like, can tie them to a door. Yeah. Um, those are really good, too, mm-hmm. for that same type of thing. It's all that, like,
1: strengthening, what, the rotator cuff and the deltoids, maybe, you think?
2: I don't know. I, I'm not really sure. At the time, that I, they, they really weren't sure how to increase the, the getting someone to throw hard is, is not a science that they quite understand. It has to do a lot with flexibility, um, maybe even flexibility more so than even strength.
0: Because huh. you can
2: get some really muscular guys that are so muscular that they have no flexibility and they right. can't throw the ball hard. Mm-hmm. You see, have you ever seen like a really muscly guy throw a baseball? It's not a good look. No. No. It's I think not. that's because of flexibility. That's a little different topic. But. It's always those long,
1: stru- stringy String being yes. guys that just arms are torqued so
2: hard, you're like, my yeah. goodness, yeah, yeah. One of my best buddies was like that. He was like six four. He was not strong at all. But he was six four, lanky, long arms, and man, he could just whip that ball. He could throw hard. Huh. All right, well let's
1: get uh, let's get into back to some more of your guys' questions. Um, Seber six eighty one asks, what do you do to fight duck depression? Duck depression in the summer
2: doing it right now <laughs> <laughs> pretty much
1: huh yeah I was going to say for me it's it's definitely I enjoy doing the podcast and talking about duck hunting uh, doing some other things uh, camping I love to go camping with the family we'll do that every year and uh, get just get away from everything don't even have social media, don't have phones Not no cell service and just get out there away from everything <laughs> that's a good <clears throat> way to do it I do work a lot, which that's not fun, technically. That's not a way to fight it. But, yeah, I think talking about duck hunting, Ellie, and, um actually, let me ask you that. That will lead into this question. I'll let you answer that question for yourself. But are you are you by any chance going to make it to the Delta Waterfall Expo?
2: I don't. In Arkansas? Yeah. What's the date on it? Jake's asked me to come down there. July.
1: Th- I know there's going to be quite a few down there. I'm all excited, too. But uh, July 28, 29, 30. But it's a three-day deal, so I mean, even if you only make one or backside yeah, or frontside, I don't,
2: I don't know. I man, I would like to. I've been gone so much already this summer, and I got a hunt test the weekend before that. Mm. Aiden's wedding the weekend before that. So, and I'm going back at the Flatliner Kennel next week again. So I'm just, I've never traveled in the summer like I've traveled this summer, and gotcha. I don't want to leave my wife in a hunting season with already being tired of me being gone.
1: Right? Yeah. No, I get I, that
2: because she's got a limit. She's got a limit for it. I mean, she lets me do what I want. But I can see it in her when it starts wearing on her, and I do not want her going into duck season no. with being worn down on me being gone. No. So that's that. my big thing.
1: I got you. Yeah, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> that's But more, I want to go. That's oh, I more want to. Are you going to that? Yeah, me and Thomas both. Yeah. So <clears throat> I've been sharing a couple of things on Instagram about it, and Jake, he's like, you're going? I'm like, yeah, are you? He's like, yeah, I'm going to be at the high and dry booth. I'm like, well, I'll be bouncing. I'm not – being sponsored to go, I was actually a heavy shot was going to pay for a way to go down there, but they had some more budget cuts. So we're just, I wanted to go no matter what. But, uh, we're oh, gonna, you gonna hang
2: out at the FA booth, a bunch? yeah.
1: I'm gonna hang out, be at the FA booth, and I'm gonna be at the heavy shot booth quite a bit. But I, I have no obligations to either just to stay there the whole time. I'm definitely gonna be meandering around a bit, and that's what Jake was saying too. He goes, I'll be at the high and dry booth, but he goes. I'm not just going to stay there all three days. He goes out there, giving me a bunch of Liberty to go all over the place and visit and meet people. Where are you
2: and guys all... staying? Do you guys have an Airbnb or where are you? No, seeing?
1: I actually got a hotel. Yeah. I got a uh-huh. hotel basically in the convention. It's like the convention center right there. So uh-huh. we booked uh we bought our plane tickets probably a week, 10 days ago to fly. And that, that was the worst part of it. Those plane tickets are stupid right now. It's crazy how much it costs to fly. And then, um, and then we bought our hotel a couple days ago, and then I bought our tickets to the expo. They're like, it's ten bucks a day. It's nothing. <clears throat> so
2: can't fa? Can't you get in for being a part of fa? Surely you should. Probably,
1: to that. I didn't even think about come
2: on. it. Come on, yeah, come on, man. Yeah. You're there representing it. There's no way you should pay to get. It.
1: I was gonna text Tina for a heavy shot too, but I thought, you know what? It's ten bucks a day. It's kind of like eh, whatever. I I kind of would feel stupid for asking. Hey. Can you get me in where I have to pay for this? because <laughs> no, if you're going, did, going there as
2: a, to re- partly represent them, yeah. you should be paying. That's
1: true. Yeah, that
2: was probably a waste of money. Oh, well.
1: it's already You're making
2: me want to go because I know everyone I know is pretty much I know. Going. Josh
1: is going to be there. Yeah. Thomas is going to be there representing the Duck Halls, Ducklander, right?
2: Joel Strickland will be there. Oh, Joel's no, going to uh, be there? Well,
1: Bobby Hayes from Ducklander will be there.
2: Yeah, Joel will be there.
1: Or, yeah, what's the one – what's Thomas do? Who Who's that?
2: Is I can't it, remember what his, those calls are called.
1: DRC or – no, that's Declan. Uh, anyways, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't even think about Joel being there.
2: Uh, Everyone's going to be there pretty much. I don't think Jordan won't be there, but um, Matt won't be there. But there's gonna be, yeah, oh, want, right. going to be – yeah. You got to go, Elliot. How far <laughs> of a drive to. is that for you? Oh, six, seven hours. That's nothing. Something like that. I know. It's just the, I'm telling you, the whole thing is measuring – how my wife feels And how tired she's gonna be Of me being gone And she's I don't wanna paint her in a wrong No picture. you're she's not She's very patient it. Yeah With my traveling But I'm telling you I, I was You do have a busy schedule Seven days in Louisiana fishing Came back for a few days Eight days at Flatlander Kennels Came back Now I'm going back out to Flatlander Kennels And it's just like I'm just gone and gone and gone
1: Yeah again. No I get it You could do like A uh, day and a half I mean, Yeah. Yeah, I
0: may have to do it.
1: I may have to do it. I, I, you know what? I didn't want to spend the money either. Honestly, it was just like, Oh man, this is going to cost a lot, but I feel like, I just feel like it's going to be really worth it. Like no doubt in my mind. I just people that I'm going to meet plus like I've never, I've talked to Jake a billion times from Mm Jason green, but I've never got to meet him in person and shake his hand. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, yeah, that connection of when you shake people's hands is just big to me. Like, and
2: I want to be. Oh able- yeah, you you'd love him. You'd love Jay. Yeah,
1: <clears throat> so that just that just all those things, and then other companies I like to talk to and see, and right. I think it's just. I think it's. There's no doubt in my mind. It's gonna be worth every second and every penny I spend. So, and then after the fact too, you know, going to dinner, hanging out, just it'll be good. Tom's- in the
2: future, I'd like to get a booth like a North American Waterfowl. It's probably what I do is like podcast slash app booth
1: that would be cool actually tina from heavy shot was wanting me to bring all my podcast stuff and she goes use our use our booth for all your recording but
2: oh come on
1: i know but i'm like man if i if i do that and can th- think about all the guests i could have on but the problem is i would just be spending all my time doing that
2: if you I'm got three days just do one day like uh, you know they do it on the super bowl where everyone has like the media row or whatever pre-super bowl <laughs> just gonna- do like one day where you just getting as many guests on as you can. That'd
1: be awesome. You're going to talk me into it. I know. You should totally do it. I know later I'm going to regret if I don't. Like, why did I not just do it?
2: Absolutely. You're there three days. You could just do it like half a day. Yeah. Just grab people and pull them on and say, Hey, can you give me 15 minutes and just do 15 minute interviews and splice them into podcast episodes. That actually, be awesome. You can get so many cool people and make so many connections that way. Yeah. I'm going to have to do it. I bet you Dr. Duck's going to be down there too. Have you met him? no i
1: haven't oh, yeah,
2: I, 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 we had him on the duck on podcast a couple times he's
1: a great guy i'm sure he'll be there yeah he's a fellow public land guy so
2: uh-huh. yeah. yeah him him and uh gosh i can't think of their actual first names but they're great guys yeah i'm just blanking on it. dennis and uh yeah oh, what's his buddy's name gosh i should it's on i know the top of my tip of my tongue Yeah. Oh, well
1: dennis loser or something like that huh the one guy I can't remember yet, yeah, but I know there's a billion, I mean, Tony, like just, I've he's been on my podcast too. It, mm-hmm. It's just like, I guess I probably should take it because in my mind, I'm yeah. like, I don't want to miss no booth. I don't want to miss no time hanging out with people. And If I'm busy doing that, then it's going to take away from the experience. But I thought, you know what? Probably if I'm there all three days, I'm sure I'll have seen everything pretty good. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't feel like I need, I'm not going to miss anything, so.
2: Take your stuff. Assess it day one. And yeah, from there. that's a good
1: idea. I'll do that. Plus, I'm flying Southwest. They get two free bags. Me and Thomas are going to try to do, uh, what do you call it? The uh, carry on where you don't have to stop and wait for your luggage. Right. Because that's the other thing is too. They they airlines are so bad right now. Like they lose luggage so much. Flights get de- extended, delayed. So I'm like, man, mm-hmm. if I lose all that, I'm not going to be happy. That's a lot of money. So. Yeah,
2: I'm leaning to going now that I've talked to you. That's like the tipping point. I got to okay. get down there.
1: <laughs> well, you're talking me <laughs> into taking my podcast stuff, and you're you're talked into going at least yeah. for a day or two. But right, well, take take your wife with you. Make it, I,
2: I possibly could.
1: Yeah. Well, anyways, all right. I just wanted to ask you that and see what your thoughts were on that. Okay, let's get in some more questions. All right, um, let's go with here's a good one. This is the one we had talked about Anthony to I sorry if I butchered your name. <clears throat> he said, what's your opinion on different breed of retrievers? Mm. I never, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. I never even let you answer that last question did I? Where was that?
2: Oh, we had, I mean, I would, the only thing I would add is the hunt test game with labs is okay. really a huge part of my off season now. And, i never i never imagined i'd love it as much as i do it is so much more fun than i expected it to be so that's a huge part of my off season is going to i'm in the hrc stuff right now and as soon as she gets her HRCH title we'll move over to akc and it's just a really really great community of people and a lot of fun
1: yeah yeah and fishing you did some fishing yep i'm Mm -hmm. doing softball yeah that's kind of our off season distractions i guess but so yeah, your opinion on different breed of retrievers? I mean, I can we go? Should we throw golden retrievers in there too? I mean, I guess it, it's a
2: no, that's a breed, that's a yeah. breed of retriever. Yeah, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Labs are the best of the best. I mean, I've been around a lot of them now after spending time out there at Flatlander and talking to Chris Jobman a bunch. I mean, you've got your black labs, you've got your golden retrievers, you've got your Chesapeake's, and then you've got flat croat retrievers. I then you've got the British versus the non, but I mean, if you go, if you're talking about the highest level of waterfowl retrievers, it's the Labrador retriever. Mm-hmm. And if you really get into it and talk to trainers, every trainer I've talked to, it's Black Lab is the absolute pinnacle. And that doesn't mean that your yellows and your chocolates aren't out there achieving at high levels and passing the grands because they are, but I can tell you every professional trainer I talk to loves black labs more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And they will give you mm-hmm. reasons for I didn't ever think there was a reason, but they will actually give you reasons, thought well thought out reasons as to why they think overall blacks are are the best. But,
1: okay. Let um. me stop you there. I do too. Now I don't have experience like those guys do, but I definitely there in my opinion, there's huge differences between the colors and their personalities in general. Can you think of and remember what their reasoning was? And this is not to hurt anybody's feelings. You're just repeating what they said. It has nothing to do with our opinion, Kay. But can you remember some of their reasonings?
2: I can remember one for chocolates. Now, I will say that um, Chris has said that chocolates are coming on strong right now. But for a long time, Chocolate Labs were fashionable dogs. And they were bred strictly for pets and they were just the the fad and i don't know what time period that was so that retrieving bloodline during that time got a little diluted Mm. so so that is why overall over the past that your average chocolate may not be as good as your average black because of that long stent breeding where chocolates were society's fat dog Mm -hmm. um that's the only one i remember i don't know between yellow and Black, I can say that eight days I spent out there at Flatlander, I saw lots of yellows run, I saw lots of goldens run, I saw some flat coats run, I saw blacks run, and there are absolutely fantastic chocolates and there's absolutely fantastic yellows. Now, flat coat retrievers, What's Chris that? has, it's it's a long haired. Uh, if you have your computer, just circle and look at it. It's just it's just a longer haired, um, big retriever. Mm. And there's black some coat. people that really, re- yeah, it's called flat coat retriever. And there's some people that really, really love them. But Chris right now has the only flat coat to ever mm. have their grand title. They're pretty. the only one ever. They are beautiful dogs, he, but their it looks personality. Like a golden, just,
1: it looks like a golden retriever, but just black
2: or brown. A little bigger, little bigger. Um, yeah, they call those livers. Then livers less common than black, mm. and they're a little bigger. And I guess their attitudes are just a little bit more difficult and we're talking about, um, the most elite highest level trained dogs. We're not talking about can a flat coat retriever for just an average guy, can you train it and can you get it to do a good job as your duck dog? We're not really talking about that. We're talking about what is the most elite of all these dogs. And to find that you need to get up into, um, the master nationals and for the AKC and the, uh, um, grand for HRC and you need, so those dogs there are almost exclusively labs, not completely, but because labs are just higher drive, more trainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then inside labs, the trainers would say that the, they prefer the black, but I, I personally, you know, I mean, as far as the average guy goes, I think that there's probably not much difference between a black and a yellow and a, of chocolate, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a difference when you go outside of lab to golden retrievers to chesapeake's to, to flat coats.
1: Have you, you probably haven't, but have you ever talked to him about these this new fad of these golden doodles? Of what? Of these gold, have you ever heard of a golden doodle?
2: Oh, yeah, they, they view them as complete mutts. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of figured that <laughs> I just same as silver labs too. silver. Labs. Okay. Thank you. Actually, let's have cat. this conversation
1: right now because this might, let's, uh, are we jumping too fast here? Cause I don't want to jump too fast. I want to have that conversation. Actually, I need to have it with, um, I need to have it with Chris Aiken or Chris Jobman. I would actually love to have him on. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he wouldn't mind coming on my podcast, but yeah. Um, silver labs. So, it's funny the people and again i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but i feel like the lack of of knowledge or maybe um looking into it cuz i feel like people that get them are really on edge about if people say anything about them being a real like a lab or a pure breed mm
2: mm-hmm. mhm
1: but I think it's just denial, like you don't really want to dig into it. You just like the look, which is totally fine. Like if you love the look, the dog retrieves birds for you, that's great. And you don't care about the AKC and all this because let me tell you, right? those are not, they are not AKC. Like there's nowhere you can click on silver.
2: Right. They're and, viewed as mutts.
1: Yeah. So I don't know what the big, is it just a fat thing? Like what's, what's your opinion? What's Chris say about it? Like, what have you heard?
2: I am not enough into the topic to be able to give you the reasoning, but I have read on some Facebook groups, people giving detailed reasoning as to why they don't consider them purebred. And it made sense to me. I can't repeat it. So I'm not on it. And I know your professional trainers, job and Aiken, they won't even allow them on their kennels. They view them as complete mutts mm-hmm. and uh, they'll scoff at them the, mem- the minute that you bring them up. But I cannot give you those arguing points Either for or against, but from my reading, um, and I've seen the arguments and, and I've got no reason to not believe people like Chris Aiken, Chris Jobman, um, they're, they're the experts, they're the pros, they're the breeders. So I would just default to them and, and by default agree with them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And again, that's not to say that, okay, you have a silver lab, they hunt, they're your buddy, they're your partner. And they retrieve ducks It's not to say they can't do that because I've seen all kinds of different types of dogs do that kind of stuff. It's just when you're looking at, at a standpoint like they are, it's not this high quality purebred line.
2: You know, it's, yeah, but it's your dog. And if yeah. you want a silver lab and you want to hunt your silver lab, there's no one that should tell you not to do that. Yeah.
1: I just you know, don't it's your like dog. it. It's your I house. just don't like when there's been, i know of some breeders and some people have said stuff about how they're purebred and this and that. And I feel like they're just kind of deceiving a line to people they're selling them to. I just don't think right. that's right. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like so, I said, I have seen a very, very detailed explanation from a scientific standpoint as to why they're not purebred. And that explanation made sense to me.
1: Yeah. <clears> hundred percent. <throat> uh, that's interesting. So he had golden labs or I'm sorry, golden, golden Retrievers, golden retrievers yeah. labs, flat coats, Chesapeake Bay Retrievers. What do you think about them? They're pretty, from my experience, my dad had one very, very, they're amazing hardy dogs, but they're very stubborn.
2: Yeah. That's, that's my understanding with Chesapeake's is just on a you know, if you get 100 labs and 100, 100 Chesapeakes, lab, the, the average lab is just easier to train and easier to get to do what you want to do than the average Chesapeake.
1: But I bet that's you, my understanding. But they're once they're trained, man, they can. I've seen some Chesapeakes just go through stuff. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if a lab could even.
2: Just Tim Yeah. Yeah. They're tough. They're tough as hell. And Scott Hill's got one. It's a wonderful dog. He's getting it into um, hunt testing and. And uh, I mean Chesapeake's are a historic beast of a dog, mm-hmm. no doubt.
1: Yeah. So he was he was training those two, huh? Up there?
2: Um, I'm trying to think if I saw any Chesapeake's. I may. There was one dog I think that may have been a Chesapeake, but I, I don't. I'm not even sure. There. It was mostly. I mean, one flat coat, um, probably 20% Goldens, and then the rest the rest Labs. And he doesn't breed any Goldens. Um, they've been only breed Labs, but they'll take client dogs or goldens and he's got some really, really excellent goldens, mm. but he does tease them and make fun of them The goldens? In, a fun, in a light. Yeah. in a lighthearted. Why person. is
1: that? Like, what is he saying? He,
2: oh, he has this thing where he's like, they get dis- there. They just get distracted really easy. And as they're running, he'll be like butterflies, butterflies, you know, kind of <laughs> like, uh, that when we was like squirrel, like they're yep. just loosey goosey, lose their attention. They see a butterfly and they start daydreaming, you know, just, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> Because he's got this group of old of older gals that come and train with him, and they're golden retriever people.
0: Yeah. And
2: I need to I need to mic him. I had him mic'd up a lot while I was out there, and got some. In fact, I made a video. I need to send you. It's just clips, mm-hmm. like a mic'd up clips of him, which is just really funny. But he and these gals that come to train with him, they're all golden. You sit around and they just tease each other all day long, and he's teasing them about golden retrievers, and and it's all lighthearted and fun, but it's it is really entertaining.
1: That's funny. That's fine. That's cool. All right. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Caleb Villers said, how do you beat others out in public land? <laughs> I'll let you answer that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, um, you just need to g- get an idea of what you're willing to do and when you're willing to get to a place. And and um, you typically <laughs> – I want three or four options of where I'm going to hunt. Yep. A, B, C, and D. Now on an opener, I want to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I decide what am I willing to do? Mm-hmm. And there's a point in which, you know, I'm like, well, if you get here earlier than me, I tip my hat to you. Yes. Um, and I'm willing to get up a little earlier on an opener. I, I, but day in, day out, I mean, it's a long season. I don't want to get there at 10 PM the night before every, every Saturday of the year. That's just not it's not reasonable for me. But I am willing, and I don't know, gosh, I hate even giving the time, the time frame and things. So I won't there is a certain time in which is my standard get there time. Yeah. And mm. it's it's something I'm willing to live with Saturday in and Saturday out. Right. And it's a time in which ninety-eight percent of the time is earlier than right. than the other people. Right. And if I do get beat, I just go to plan B and plan C and plan d And I'm not going to get beat on A through D at that time. I'm, yeah. I'm just not. But there's yeah. something really, really peaceful about getting to a parking lot and being the first person. Oh, there. Man. That is just a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Yes, it is. And a lot of times we're the first people there and the last people out, which yeah. I love that. It's like, I don't know. There's just something about it. it's like, I was willing to get here earlier than you. And I was willing to stay here longer than you. I have immersed myself in this environment. I got there. I found the birds. I got there before you. I got the birds. I hung out and stayed there. I'm just, I love immersing myself in a marsh and I, I need, in order to feel that, I need more than, I need more than sun up to 930 to do. Yeah.
1: That. And that's not, and you know, that's not for everybody, you know, like right. I was really shocked, Elliot, when I went, <laughs> excuse me, when I went to Kansas, um I'm trying to think of when this was, this was a long, I don't even know if I knew you guys yet. I went back there. Part of it was family vacation. I think I did. I don't know if I did because I would have seemed like I would have said, hey, I'm going to be in Kansas. But it was mainly a family vacation. But this guy hit me up and was like, hey, come hunt with me, whatever. Well, anyways, we went and hunted this round refuge. I could tell you later where it was. but
2: I think you told me about this before. Okay.
1: Yeah. I and I could not believe. Okay. So California – has so much variety of people, types of people, right? There's people that are mm-hmm. fanatics about sports. There's people fanatics about uh, just whatever, technology. Like, you just got such a wide variety. Whereas I feel like in the Midwest, people are very immersed in either hunting or sports. Like, I don't feel mm-hmm. like there's a, I'm not saying there's not. I'm just saying I feel like it's really heavy here, like that. So, right. so right. it's weird. Land of fruits and nuts, right? Well, yeah. over there, uh, college, Let's see what's going on that. I think it's college football, right? College football is real big, big, right? And when we were there, there was a game at like noon. There's a lot of, I don't know usually what time your guys' college games start, but about noon or whatever. Man, I could not believe the amount of guys. That refuge was full in the morning. By 930 at the latest, it was empty. And I'm talking, right. there was so many birds flying. It was unbelievable. I'm talking something you see off a movie. like. <laughs> and there was nobody there. And I'm like, yeah. what in the world is going on here? And I just, just realized, you know, I think when you have that environment that you can come and go as you please and just have that opportunity, but you're also very passionate about, say, college football or sports like that, and you're going to tailgate and you're going to have friends over, hey, more power to you. But I just... I just thought it was interesting to me for a guy like me is where, yeah, if you get your limit roll out, but like I talked to these guys coming out, they only had like two or three birds a piece and I watched birds dump on them all morning and I was like, huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, not that that you got to get your limit, but it was just kind of funny to me. Like, man, it's just a little bit of a different mindset. It feels like, and it's not for everybody, but you're not that way. You're talking about going in early and coming out late. You know, I just, yeah. But I'm, I'm not saying that one or two guys were doing that. I'm saying like it emptied out. Every,
2: yeah. I'd say 85, 90 percent of residents are out between 930 and 1030. And non-residents, and this is one of the big issues that they have with the non-resident issue is that the non-residents are hunting all day. And if mm-hmm. they're not hunting, they're scouting with their boats. And so they're putting so much pressure on the birds where residents are almost always – I can't tell you the amount of times where there's a decent number of people in the marsh. And by 1030, like we got this place to ourselves. That's crazy. Um, and then, if it's a really heavy march like the one you're at, about one thirty, so you've got like ten thirty to one thirty where it's kind of your own, and then about one thirty the afternoon, people will start filtering in. Mm. But was, it's kind of I standard. More, in Kansas.
1: I was wondering that because out here, it gets a little slower in the afternoon, but you'd be surprised. It's guys out here are just there's the afternoon guys, there's the morning guys, you know, and then there's sometimes there's the all day mo- I don't think there's a lot of guys that do the all day thing unless it's just a slow day and they're really gung-ho about getting their birds, but there's, it seems like there's more afternoon guys out in California. Do you think that than out there, like further east to go?
2: There's not tons of afternoon people. There are some, and it just depends on what part of the state you're in, like where you were hunting. That's, that's one of the heaviest traffic marshes in Mm. the state. And so you're going to get a lot more of that um, Mm. in that area of the state. Easy access too. um, Yeah. I can say some of the places that I hunt, um, and then if taking you to, you wouldn't see people in the afternoon there. The, the, the de- population density is just too low at those pools. Gotcha. Not that many people. I mean, you know, every, from time to time you might, but yeah, you know, not generally.
1: Now I'm not going to lie though. For, for me personally, if I could go in the morning, get my birds, have a great time, see the sunrise, have fun with my family, friends, whatever it is, and be done by 10, mm-hmm. that is nice. Yep. Um, now. See, Travis is, he likes, he really likes the afternoons. He don't hardly do much mornings anymore, it seems like, and he'll admit that. But th- what I was telling him, he's like, well, you get to sleep in this and that. And I said, well, here's the thing though, Travis. Like, if, I, if I'm if i going to hunt in the afternoon, I get out there pretty early for an afternoon hunt because mm-hmm. I want to try to get my spot. So technically, I feel like I'm gone longer from home and away from the family longer if I do an afternoon hunt because I end up waking up. I don't sleep that late when I, when I sleep in, you know, seven o'clock sleeping into me. So I get up at seven o'clock. Now I'm kind of fiddling around. I'm packing my gear, getting stuff in the truck, getting it ready. You know, if I leave my house at nine or 10, I mean, pretty much from the time I woke up and then till dark, when I get home, I was gone the whole day technically. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So it don't, I don't feel like I'm saving time or being home more when I do that.
2: If I didn't have a, uh monday through friday job i would go out and be in the marsh at nine or ten o'clock a lot more often really um but the fact that i've got a saturday and something about the sun coming up you've got the entire day yep. in front of you And when you do finish like at 10 or 11 you still have so much day yep left whereas a sunset is always a little bit depressing to me uh-huh. i mean I, I don't like picking up decoys in the dark i yep. don't like it's just it's a sinking feeling to me that I just don't like, I don't care for. I just do not like evening nights very much. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Kind of to wrap that question up, beating people out, I I like what you said about, um, it's not really beating people out, but it's about having options. I do not, like you said, I get nervous if I only have three options, you know, Mm -hmm. because you just never know. You just never know. There's sometimes there's great people that are crazier than you out there. <laughs> you think there ain't right. no way no one's beating us. And then you get out there and there's headlights. You're like, what? Yeah. How in the world? But I like and you there said, are days you, in which you tip your cap to him, though. You tip your cap to him. Yeah.
2: Right. yeah, you have to just be like, hey, you wanted to get out earlier than me. But yeah. there are days where option A is the deal. Like, we have to <laughs> get yes. this spot.
1: Yes, absolutely. And on those days, I'm
2: still not going to go in there at 10 p.m. or something dumb. I'm not even going to go in there at midnight. Yeah. It's just, I'm not, it's, I'm not, I don't want to perpetuate that even in the sport. I don't like that trend of, you know, you got to completely wreck your whole next week on lack of sleep to get your spot. It's just, it's not a good trend. People camping in the, in the marsh, it yeah. puts pressures on birds. And I will sometimes camp in the forest, you know, where I'm still getting a good night's sleep, but this whole thing of like being at your decoys at 10, 11, 12, it's just, that's not a good trend for a waterfowl. Hunting,
1: yeah, I don't think. Yeah, that's brutal, too. <clears throat> you may got you may got the advantage the first time, but you're going to be wrecked the rest of the couple of days. Right. That's one thing I've found out
2: for sure. <clears throat> As you but, get older, that's just not fun. You don't want to be feeling it on Monday.
1: No, because you can't recover very quick from that, especially the, old, oh, yeah. the,
2: the older you get.
1: Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, okay, next question. <clears throat> it's kind of an interesting question i'd like to see hear your thoughts on it uh outlaw.hunter07 said so you think do you think that they should legalize lead shot for waterfowl again i i know this ain't gonna happen but just a
2: topic to to talk about absolutely absolutely not i mean unless there's science that i don't under i don't know as far as i know is that fish were picking those up and birds of prey were picking up the fish and lead poisoning was a serious thing and that actually made a negative impact on a lot of birds Mm -hmm. Um, that's my understanding so if there's some other science out there that i don't know about someone could educate it on me but everything that i know is that it was it was absolutely a problem and and steel loads are really good these days and we've got a lot of good options Mm.
1: yeah compared to what it used to be to what it is now right Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think <clears throat> I think it was Kirk McCullough that I was talking to you about that. Hmm. Chase's dad? Huh?
2: Chase's
1: dad? No, Kirk McCullough. He's kind of a big name in Arkansas. Oh. He's guide for a long time. Oh, I
2: thought it was just Chase McCullough. Is that, you know, no, somewhere huh? in Wisconsin?
1: I thought maybe he's his dad. No, he's real well known there in Arkansas and been a guide oh, okay. for, I don't know. He still duck hunts. I don't think he guides anymore, but. I was talking to him about that and he remembers the the transition very well Mm -hmm. and how terrible still was. He goes, it was just a nightmare, like literally a nightmare. And, uh, that's what ended it for a lot of people. They're just like, I'm not, not doing this some more,
2: but, uh, my first year of hunting was the first year of Oh, really? Lead, lead ban, and we struggled to kill mallards. You just wounded you just wounded But them you probably didn't know any but, different, though. Well, I guess you would because you no, we still didn't. hunted upland, though. So Yeah, but we were using – yeah, I hunted upland, but it was a different deal. I just remember we were just having to clean them up on the water just all the time. But here's the thing,
1: though. If you can use it for upland still, can you explain to me the difference? Because I kind of have a little bit of mixed thoughts about this because part of me wants to think, like, is those studies – Who were those studies done by? Was it true people, biologists, or was it government? Because why can we shoot them at upland, but we can't shoot them at ducks? You
2: know what I mean? Well, because there's no – who's going to feed on them in all of the vast expanse of of wetlands? It's fish that are picking them up and getting the lead into their system. It's my understanding. And then – I'm and and if I'm wrong, I'm, I am, I am more than happy for someone to educate me if I'm wrong, but this is, this is cause I'm no expert on this, but that's always been my understanding Right. that, you know, and, and if you shoot it off into a CRP field and it's letting all that grass, there's it's not going to get into the food chain yeah. that lead's not going to get into the food chain and in, in open fields where in the water it does.
1: Yeah. Cause it's, le- you're talking about it leaching out into
2: the water. No, I'm talking about fish consuming it. Hmm. Yeah. The little That's the little babies. Yeah. But what would consume it in a CRP field or like a field?
1: Yeah, but like how are the fish consuming it though if it's sitting at the bottom of the river or the lake though, you know?
2: I guess they see it and think it's some type of food and eat it. Really? Would be my assumption. I haven't
1: I am just being honest. I, I haven't dug in and tried to look really look in the studies. I mean I've heard all the same things you're saying. It's just kinda like if you just play it out in your head, you're like, is that it's kinda I don't
2: know. I guess and the, I'm completely open to being wrong. I No, I'm no, no. At all. I'm maybe I am, but I'm just doing it for conversation. My yeah. My understanding has always been that it was absolutely a real thing that had to be taken care of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean I heard the same thing. I was just I never really had that conversation about that. I mean, I know it's never gonna happen and I'm not I would never push for it because especially all the metals that are available now. Um, just the downfall is bismuth, everything like that. Tungsten, it's so expensive, you know.
2: And lead's cheaper. Lead's right.
1: dirt cheap, yeah. So that's yeah. kind of the only downside. It'd it's
2: interesting to get someone on that actually was an expert in this and talk about that. I'm gonna have to, That's a thought. Yeah, that's who a, would be an expert in this department that could talk to this? Yeah, I would love. That I bet John Devney would know. I bet you, John Devney would know.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a great. That'd be a great conversation to have. It would be. Um, all right, let's see here. Moving on. What's, uh, Turpin Clay 22, actually, uh, Clay came on my podcast. He did a, he had an amazing year last year. This guy traveled all over the place and Alaska and Georgia and Florida and everywhere. And he shot a bunch of different types of birds. Pretty neat story. He came on the podcast, but he asked, what's your favorite bird to shoot or hunt? I guess.
2: My number one is um mallard drakes and my number two is Blueing Teal.
1: Okay. Now
2: can you give me reasons why? Mallards, there's just something of, yeah. There's something about what mallards do in the air. There's the, the game of killing a mallard is just more enjoyable than other ducks. They're big the sun glistens off that green in a really beautiful way. They, Mm -hmm. the way they react to calls, the way they hover over your decoys, the aerobatics they do in the air. They're just the, and the way they eat they're they're just the most fun game waterfowl bird that there are now blue and teal in Kansas. We lose all our ducks pretty much. You can go out right now and you can find a few here and there, wood ducks typically, but we essentially lose all of our ducks. And when, um, In August, when you get your first little flock of blue-winged teal sighting, Mm. it is a very, very special event every single year when you see that first flock. Mm -hmm. And it's like birds, the migration has begun when you see it. And our early teal season, I mean, you've gotten in on the early teal season in Nebraska. It's very similar here. It's a season of its own. And you don't have to really worry about, I mean, mallard hunting is really hard you've got to have everything buttoned down. Teal season is just more relaxed. You don't really have to worry about your hide um, If you're patient they will de- pe- some people think blueing teal seasons past shooting They're just not doing it right. Mm-hmm. you can they decoy well they respond to the teal call they're in big wads the visuals you see of all that you, know, you get a big group of teal that all bank at once you see that powder blue on all their arms It's just a season of its own and they're a spectacular eating bird too so there's just something about those something about those big wads of blue wings and that whole season that is just a kickoff to the year and i've got a lot of history with it um is just being a family event and it's 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 just a season of its own and they're a spectacular little bird
1: yeah i'm 100 that they are very good i mean it tastes like you're eating little sirloins when you breast them out cook them on the barbecue
2: yeah they're delicious
1: (laughs) um i'm with you i've said that so many so many times on the podcast about malers, just the the challenge of them how smart they are and sometimes how weird they can be and if you beat them you know it's it's something to be said you know and out fool them outwit them get him. and the visuals the visuals oh my goodness yeah <laughs> the visuals just just trump everything and then uh it's kind of hard for me to say what my second choice would be because I automatically want to say Pintel just because I love that long sprig. I love mm. eating them. There's like the most consistently great tasting bird, I think, of, of most of the birds. But I think I would go with the Wigeon just because I love their whistle. I love how when they run want your spot, how they work. And it's almost like, you're almost a guaranteed going to get them in. Like, I don't know how to explain that because once they're responding back to your calling and they're calling and they're looking around, it's just, I don't know, holding a really nice male studded out. Yes. Yep. is so cool. Like the coloring and just all that. So
2: I agree 100%. I, we, I only shoot maybe three or four wigeons a year. Mm-hmm. And if I'm lucky, I only shoot three or four pintail drakes a year. So those species are... I would rather have a plumed out pintail or wigeon in my hand than about anything else. Yeah. We don't, we don't get enough of them for it to be a real, and pintails are so finicky and don't respond to the call very well yeah. out here. Yeah, they um, don't hear either. <laughs> they're just tough. Now on a given day, if I can shoot five, my best day would be five Mallard Drakes and a, Pentail drake or if you go four mallard drakes a beautifully plumed out widgeon and a beautifully plumed out pentail, i probably even re- prefer that because when you when you get a flock in and they bank and you see that oh, white man. cap and those white patches on that stud widgeon like mm-hmm. i don't know about you but my eyes lock onto that yep. bird. and yep. that's the bird i'm shooting at and that's really fun when you identify that cap like oh man it's like a really fun feeling. Like yeah that. yep we just don't get enough of them yeah
1: yeah, they we come in ways, man. Like, I mean, I know there's different places we can go to get more of them for sure. Like, absolutely. But then there's just times in the refuge we hunt a lot that we'll say, "Oh, this is the year of the widgeon." Like, it's just crazy. Him, like, uh, not last, not this last season, but the one before, there was so many widgeon. It was crazy. And if you look at the the bird numbers through the refuges and everything, you could see how each year to year varies on the numbers of what you know if it. If it was pintails, if it was widgeon, if it was mallards, whatever it is, it's kind of
2: it's neat to watch that. I can tell you, if I could shoot an entire limit of widgeon drakes, that would might very well be my bucket list hunt uh, <laughs> over everything else. I've always said shooting a black duck because I've never shot one, I've never even seen one. But if I could shoot a full strap of oh. stud Wigeon drakes. I don't think anything. I can't think of anything that would beat that right now. I know.
1: I know. Yeah, at this point in your life. Yeah, Thomas. Yeah. Thomas says that too. I think he did five he did 5 and 2 or 6 and 1. I can't remember of Drake's when it was that heavy Wigeon year. Yeah. I was like, "Man, that's his goal, you know, to do that one day." Like, that's my one of my bucket list like right. bags to have, you know.
2: I've never had a day where I've shot two stud wig Drakes. Yeah. On yeah. And that's kind of hard too. Like when you say
1: stud, I mean, you know, you can shoot Drake's, but to have those ones that are just like, whoa, like I'm talking that powdery white defined cat on their head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Um, Do we want to do one more? We're at like 55 minutes. One more question. I don't care. I'll
2: go as long as you want to go.
1: Okay. I got nothing but time. Let's see here.
2: I never get tired of talking to you about waterfowl.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just know we got another two hours too. So I don't want to burn up everything, but <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's skip on that one. There's a lot of questions and guys, just so you know, I am going to get to all these. It might just be, um, it might be on a different episode by myself or something. Cause some of these are referred just to me kind of as questions I would answer. But, um, Answered that. We answered that one. I got a couple more. I'm just trying to pick the best one for the last one. Um I guess we could ask this same person, Turpin Clay, but he said dream hunt, other than well, that's kinda for me too, because I said King Well, let's just ask you like what would be your dream hunt? I think I just told you. Is that it?
2: (laughs) Well, as far as birds I mean, something like out there, like, then yes, um, I would like I love what I see on the Great Salt Lake. Um, those hunts seem really, really interesting to me where people are kind of laying out in the open with a bunch of silhouette of silhouettes. And they talk about how the depth perception of birds coming right to you on the Great Salt Lake is really unusual. Um, that seems really, really cool to me i would like to go to alaska but it's got to be specific i don't i wouldn't want to be up in alaska like shooting golden eye and stuff like that um i still haven't done a timber hunt in arkansas uh trying to think what else i i have in my mind washington and oregon a lot it Mm -hmm. seems like such a wonderful place that gets overlooked um, probably because people don't want to travel over the Rocky mountains mm-hmm. is my, like, you know, central Playa, Mississippi, yeah. it's just a hard place to go. Those places seem in my mind, if I could, if you just say, okay, you've got to go somewhere, where would it be? I'd probably say Washington ish in that area, Pacific Northwest. Um, if I had to pick one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean the sights and the scenes that you see, is just phenomenal, and I haven't even touched the west side of Washington. I mean, that mm-hmm. to me is the most ultimate, besides Alaska. I mean, I guess a lot. It's just a different environment because you could say, "Well, timber is amazing too." And you're like, yeah, I agree. I mean, I will, I want to hunt the timber too, but I am a mountain guy. I love mountains. Right. I love pine right. trees and firs and all that, that. I just like that. It's so to go to Western Washington, where you're hunting, like completely like saturated with mountains all around you, which Northern California can kind of be like that too. But the, Oh my goodness. Just that would be incredible. Oh man. Just how green everything is there. Mm-hmm. And just the things that I've seen, I'm like, okay, that's on, that is at some point is going to happen. I'm going to hunt on that right. side for sure. So
2: yeah. Uh, mountains in the background would be definitely a bucket list for me. Yeah. Killing ducks in them and where I can see mountains would be yeah amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, cause he's basically what he was asking me is other than King, Ivers, what's your dream hunt? And I would just say like, man, that's, it's really, I said Harlequin too. I mean, I would love to do that, but I guess anything that I haven't done yet is part of a dream, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, I, got, right. Well, I haven't done timber. Well, that's part of a dream hunt for me. Like once I do it, okay, that's knocked off the bucket
2: list. So I will say ultimately my dream is to have a waterfowl hunting season. That's not confined by a nine to five job yeah. that I can just hunt when and where i want to hunt and and be able to actually hunt fronts and and just have freedom to do that that that's my dream that's my dream hunting
1: yeah that that would be phenomenal that'd be tiring too
2: see but i wouldn't hunt every single day no i'm not i'm not like i don't want to hunt 60 70 straight days i want to pick and choose when i get hot i want to hunt three or four days in a row. And then I want to take three or four days to process the video and hang out and just enjoy the feeling of being on those good hunts and eat the duck. I, I'm not one of these guys that want to hunt every single day. That seems like a – I don't see the the, the joy in that. I, yeah. I I want days where I can relax and I don't want to be exhausted. By yeah. And to me, hunting every single day of the season seems exhausting.
1: Yeah, oh, 100%. I
2: want want my couch time. I want my look at the video. I want my make video time. I want my podcast to talk about it. I don't don't want to just like, oh, gosh, again tomorrow, and then again, and then again, and then again. I want to hunt whatever I want to hunt. That would probably be 55 times a year for me, I imagine, is about what I would probably do.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that is a lot. You definitely – would be smoked. I've done like four days in a row and you just, well, we did it when we did that collab. Remember? I don't know if that was only like yeah. the third day. Everyone was just like, I think I'm sleeping I'm going to go the afternoon hunt. <laughs> right. It's, it'll right. beat you down. Especially, I guess that depends too. If you're spending all day out there, that's what gets you, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, Jake comes into the state and he hunts every day, but a lot of it's scouting and he does a lot of like 10 to two hunts and, and, you know, so, if that's not like just burning yourself out every single morning. Yeah, that's know? true. Yeah. Well,
1: I guess we'll wrap this one up. We got a couple more to do. So, again, everybody, check out um, Elliot's podcast, The North American Waterfowler. Check out his YouTube channel, Freelance Duck Hunting, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And uh, you can go get great, great uh, episodes over there. And you're gonna hear, I'm going to be on his podcast too, so just bounce between both. Um put on put yourself, I don't know, I can't remember how it does it. Does it say subscribe or follow? I think it's follow. So follow if you click follow on like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, every time a new episode drops for either one of our podcasts, you get um notified and say, Hey, there yep. there's a new one dropped. So make sure you do that. And uh ratings and reviews always help. We both appreciate that. Anytime you can let us know your feedback and give us some good numbers, it pushes it out there more so Elliot, it's been, been funny having you on my podcast. I appreciate you coming on.
2: Yeah. Anytime. I love talking to you. Let's move over to my channel and keep rolling.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you on the next one.